0: listeners, you have found your way to episode 51, and the theme for this episode is psychics. But the really exciting thing to me, and hopefully to you, is that our guest this week is Lauren Baker, Lolo to some, my wife to me. Lauren has uh, been promising to do an episode with me for about two years, and uh, on the eve of our anniversary... We get her done we sat down and recorded a podcast so uh yeah it's just interesting to have my wife participating and it's great to have her showing my support uh, showing support and uh i hope you guys enjoy it as is typical with rank and review you should go in expecting that there will be spoilers and expecting there will be coarse language but we are all of us adults Please have a look at the website at rankandreview.ca. Seek us out on Facebook, seek us out on iTunes, seek us out on Twitter, and spread the word on Rankin Review. I hope you enjoy episode 51, Psychics with Lolo. So uh here we are with the fifty first episode of Rankin and Review and I have a very special guest this episode, um, Lolo Baker. On top of being my wife, I think you're one of only very few of my guests that I've ever seen naked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my Hopefully, you'll appreciate that. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yes, my guest tonight is uh, Lauren Baker. Would you like to go by an alias, honey? <laughs> Lolo? I think just, just... just go as Lolo. That mean. way, but you can't get in any trouble. Um, and um, we're celebrating sort of our anniversary, kind of, sort of doing this. Is that what's happening? Yes. <laughs> you're <agree>? a <The> idea. <laughs> yeah. um, you've had your movies for a while. Like I say, you're not the only person that have movies for a long while, but I don't think that the problem was that you didn't like watching movies is the problem was, you, was a little bit of anxiety about recording. So I'm going to try and make this as painless as possible for you. You are going to have to speak a little bit. <laughs> it is, I don't know. It, this is radio, not television, but um, uh, you feel safe. You feel like you're in a good place. You're ready to talk <laughs> about some psychic movies.
1: I'm good.
0: It was a long time ago. Do you remember why psychic as a theme was something that that you uh, picked out of a bunch? You you don't remember why you picked this, even?
1: (laughs) I don't remember.
0: It's not just because there was uh, one with Emma Thompson, whom you're a big fan of?
1: I don't think so. I don't know. I I have always been kind of drawn to the psychic stuff. Like, even as a kid, reading stories and stuff. So maybe that just... I don't know. I honestly don't remember picking them.
0: Well, do you... I mean, I've sort of passionately believed in psychic phenomena, and I still occasionally feel like I'm experiencing crazy deja vu. There's all sorts of different theories that explain it, but nobody knows really exactly what that sensation is. But uh, I guess the older I get, the more i become a sort of curmudgeonly skeptic about psychic powers and whatnot. But it's one of those things that I say, like ghosts, I kind of want to believe in in some ways. (laughs) Where do you land?
1: Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely want to believe, but probably more skeptical and, you know, sort of explaining away the weird, crazy things that our brains are capable of. Uh, I. You know, I believe in something bigger out there, but I don't know that it, any of the stuff that's described is really. Nailed it. Yes. What I what I see. I don't know
0: i mean there are people that are kind of creepy (laughs) and and there's definitely a fascination whether or not you associate psychic energies or auras with the afterlife or it's just some sort of strange uh, not not understood scientific phenomenon um it's fascinating and like i said i i used to just believe it 100 percent. now a little bit less so but as an anchor for a horror movie or a thriller uh and I guess that's sort of what the line these ones are. I don't know if you could call all these horror movies necessarily. I think
1: lots of those you would not call horror movies. Yeah. We have a bit of a debate about that.
0: Yes, Lauren doesn't... See, whereas my secret argument throughout the Rankin Review is that all movies are secretly horror movies, <laughs> your theory is that maybe none of them are. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: but I think there's more of a, a line, just because it relates to...
0: If it has something supernatural Death in it, or, or something there's something scary, that doesn't alone make it a horror movie for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What's the component that makes it horror? Then? Like,
1: I don't know. I think partly the word horror makes me think more of like slasher kind of movies. Like, right. more like violent, yeah. uh, scary. Whereas, I don't, I don't know. I guess there's some creepy elements, but there isn't a whole lot of scary in a lot of these movies.
0: Right. Well some I, more so than others. I guess but. it's just a uh, it's a matter of how you define it. It's you know, mm-hmm. minutia really, but like the original haunting, I think, is a horror movie. There's not a drop of blood in it. Right? But it's mm-hmm. a horror movie, right? It's scary, it's atmospheric. I don't necessarily think that it's gore that makes the horror. I think it's yeah. it's the the story. But whatever. But we still can have you we have can lots, fight that way. Maybe one.
1: not in my particular list, but in your In your podcast in general, you have lots included that are not at all like that.
0: There's plenty of categories where I push it absolutely, where it's just sort of what-the-fuck movies, or the... Silly. Horror comedies, or genre comedies, as I'll call them, which are like comedies that have horror movie premises, or that use horror elements to get laughs. And yeah, those are made to, to make people laugh. I don't think necessarily these movies are made to make people laugh. Um, I think the idea is suspense, scares, but they're not out to hurt you. They're not going to traumatize you. I think most of these you can actually kind of bring home to mom and dad (laughs) in a lot of ways. They're fairly PG ghosty movies to
1: some respect. Um. You'll
0: bring anything home to your mom. I do show my mom weird movies. I do. Anything. (laughs) What will you
1: not show your mom? That's what I want to (laughs) know.
0: Uh, so here are the six movies with the theme of psychics that we are going to discuss. Unless there's anything else you want to say by way of introduction, sweetheart. Um, thank you for doing this. I know it's <laughs> outside of your comfort zone, and uh, it's going to be more interesting because somewhere down the road you're going to host an episode all by yourself. So that'll be that'll be further fun for. <laughs> <laughs> For me, and for you, and hopefully for anybody <laughs> who's listening. The six movies that me and my wife are going to discuss are uh, Insight, the tale of a nurse who uh, suffers an accident and then may or may not have psychic powers, from Kenneth Brown and his then-wife, uh, Emma Thompson, Dead Again, which has to do with uh, a case that involves tangentially a psychic, and perhaps past lives. Matt Damon starring Hereafter from uh, director Clint Eastwood. It's really hard not to say Matt Damon. I saw your face wanting to do it. Matt Damon. I
1: heard it in undertone in your voice. That's why I laughed.
0: (laughs) You're in a safe place. You can (laughs) say Matt Damon. Um, From uh, director who I'm a big fan of, Sam Raimi, The Gift. Starring the always awesome Kate Blanchett. I believe she could play any part in any movie. <laughs> <laughs> and probably do better. <laughs> Seriously. Any part, any movie. <laughs> Just a theory. Um, Red Lights with Killian uh, Murphy, Sigourney Weaver, and uh, among other people, Ro- uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, which is an interesting look at psychic phenomena from a very sort of skeptical point of view. And then last but not least from. Uh, Our Canadian super director, (laughs) David Cronenberg, adaptation of a Stephen King novel starring Mr. Weird himself, Christopher Walken, The Dead Zone. (laughs)
1: Stabbing victim. Does she have a name? Allison Parks. Okay, come on Allison, stay with us. Charge 360. Lord for Ivy Stap! She's trying to say something. Where
2: detective peter rafferty and you are not a friend or relative of allison Parks, correct so not one person called the cops huh i died that night too in the er we had allison with the paddles and the
1: electricity went through her body and into mine and my heart stopped when they revived me i started seeing things that weren't there i started having memories that weren't mine that were hers resentment or anger allison
0: Okay, um, Insight, Um, this is a film directed by Richard Gebai, I looked up his uh, filmography on IMDb and did not recognize a lot, he's done a lot of work in television, but it concerns a nurse who has an accident involving some defibrillators and who may or may not be endowed with some psychic powers. Um, It's not necessarily an A-list cast that we bring to the board, but it's kind of an interesting cast. Um, We, of course, have uh, the man we call Jane, Uh, Adam Baldwin in a supporting role as a uh, psychiatrist with some maybe questionable morals. Um, We have one of the boondog saints, Sean Patrick Patrick Flannery. I don't say that with any compliments, but that's mainly what he's known from. Um, Natalie Zaya is sort of our lead, but she kind of walks through a bunch of these different character parts. Christopher Lloyd shows up very briefly in the movie. Um, and you get the feeling like uh, it's well mounted. Yeah, they're they're trying to sort of do your sort of classic psychic thriller that will sort of not go too far over the edge to scare the grandfather or parents out of the theater, but you know will make an efficient enough date movie. I think that uh, if there's well, there are flaws to the movie, but I think that maybe the biggest flaw for me, and we just watched this together very recently, and it's the only movie of the uh, set that neither of us had seen before we agreed to do this. I think that Insight's main issue might be that it's maybe outsmarted itself. It's trying to be a little bit too smart and uh, in in its effort to be the super twisty, smart thriller, it kind of lost its bearings of what it was doing fairly well and what it could have been. <laughs> um, yeah. That's where I landed up on Insight, but of course... I brought you here to get your side. <laughs> it of this did story.
1: feel a little confused. Like there was some things that were sort of wrapped up but not quite and, and yeah. Not quite not very clear as to why things what, were happening. What happened or how how exactly it was.
0: The basic setup seems like we're getting a familiar movie, right? It seems mm-hmm. like something that we've seen before. This woman's come into the hospital she's basically dead on the table as far as they know they're getting the paddles out but this nurse believes that she this woman's trying to speak with her and uh, in her effort to hear her either doesn't hear the hue to clear or whatever the defibs paddles go down and she gets this electric shock and uh somehow becomes she believes connected to this woman who killed this woman why can she figure this out Mm -hmm. and it becomes an obsession of hers um it seems like we're in familiar territory, right? Yeah. And that's sort of where the movie tries to be smart and say, well, we're going to show you this, but we're going to give you something else. I don't know necessarily, A, if the something else works in the end and we'll get there <laughs> to what that is. But uh, I think that it was good enough at being the sort of basic thriller that it was faking to be, mm-hmm. that it kind of unfortunately undoes, uh, undoes itself with the twist. Um, there's also an interesting scene with, with Christopher Lloyd as a mysterious neighbor i really was intrigued by the basic setup of this murder that she was killed outside of basically a row of picture windows and that all of these neighbors saw this brutal stabbing take place but none of them called the police and really the answer to that question was as interesting to me as anything else posed in the movie like why did that happen? And I kind of mm-hmm. thought maybe they're going to go into it more.
1: And that scene with him, with Christopher Lloyd, he yeah. was super sketchy, super creepy, like red flags all over the place, and then he doesn't go the anywhere. Movie.
0: <laughs> he was gone, like that was it. He was—I mean, it was one of those scenes where the guy they poured it on so thick with Christopher Lloyd that like this guy's sinister, something's bad about him—that you almost just don't believe it. Like they want me to believe this guy's bad so much, so that you know it's he's too obvious. Yeah, but. The, the twist with that character wasn't even that he was too obvious. He was there for that scene, and then he vanishes from the movie. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Which is, I don't know, it's a, it's a choice, but I didn't quite 100% buy it. I wanted to ask you, since you happen to be a nurse, um, the main character, uh, of, played by sorry, Natalie Zia, I'm not familiar a lot with her work, she plays Caitlin, uh, a nurse, and uh, it's sort of I I've worked in cell blocks so I've had plenty of movies that take place on <laughs> cell blocks which drives me crazy about how they're handling the prisoners. Um, is this just another movie that totally fucks the dog when it comes to medical terminology and practice?
1: Well, there was a few things that came up, but most like there was very little actual of that stuff in the movie. Right, like yeah. really there was only a few scenes where she was actively nursing and the stuff some of those are just little you know, like, I'll, I'll, I'll cover for you, or whatever doesn't work in nursing when you have shifts, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're either working or you're not, right? Yeah. You can't just go home and have somebody pick up the slack that doesn't, that doesn't work and it doesn't fly. Or That's I'll, a pretty minor thing to, to complain about, but,
0: uh. Yeah, I'll cover for you doesn't necessarily mean that your, your, your cool friend is going to make a phone call it may mean that she's working a twenty-four-hour shift now.
1: But they're both supposed to be working at that time, right? right. So she can't work two, like the workload of two nurses. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but the other things that sort of popped up as flags to me were around the the care and death of her, her mother, mother, which I'm sure gets sort of farther into the plot there than maybe you're intending. But well, that's but bit. it's sort of somewhat explained away and somewhat not, and maybe it's just. Choices that were made that don't ring right for me
0: the B plot of the movie which is introduced after the whole psychic thing Which was the bait-and-switch. We don't know her backstory until after all of that has happened to her is that uh, she had been caring for her mother and um, Was unable to accept she lived her mother lived in her house with her She was her full-time care aide in that respect on top of being a nurse and when her mother died She couldn't handle it So she still has this sort of fantasy relationship with her mother. Um, uh, Another way the movie could have played that is that if she had these psychic powers, her mother was legit, you know, visiting her from beyond, trying to give her sage Mm -hmm. advice and whatnot. But But this was played
1: much more as like a psychotic break. She was so traumatized by the death, which, like, as someone who deals with death, right, I'm a nurse in long-term care, Uh, it just doesn't ring right in terms of how people deal with death in those situations, right? She had been given six weeks to live or something really short and and had been been survived for, yeah. And when that's the case, I don't, I have a hard time imagining somebody like flailing, screaming, psychotic like situation thing happening. People process death and deal with things differently, of course. But it seems, that seems much more like a sudden trauma Not that response. she wouldn't
0: emotionally respond to her mother's death, but she would be prepared for it, and she'd probably And she's a nurse, wit-born... hopefully it
1: would be peaceful and, you know, at least somewhat accepted, right?
0: She'd bear witness to enough that she probably would have more composure than that, arguably. Veronica mm-hmm. Cartwright plays her mother. She's an interesting actress, uh, she keeps on showing up in these movies that I love, but, uh... She was, like, just a little, like, 13 or 14-year-old girl in The Birds. She's in Alien. She's in the 70s version of The Body Snatchers. She's awesome. I like her. And mm-hmm. I just, like, the the movie gets an extra couple points just for casting Veronica Carr, right? <laughs> a couple bonus
1: points for Jane, right? <laughs> and
0: a couple <laughs> bonus points for Jane. Although I will say about Jane's character, and I don't know if it's the performance or the script, or the fact that he's just a psychiatrist. For some reason in these thriller movies, psychiatrist just equals villain. Either they're the main villain or they've got some sort of hinky, untrustworthy angle to them. And, yeah. um, yeah. Though he may not be being killed for the right reasons when the the traumatic end of this ha- movie plays out, where she pulls the trigger on this guy to avenge the death that she believes <laughs> took place, um... It's tragic in that she's doing it for the wrong reasons and she committed a murder and she has sort of set her life on a path in which the rest of her life will be divine, sort of defined by her worst decision, <laughs> uh, which is not good for her. Even though Jane died somewhat, calling him Jane, even though <laughs> Adam Baldwin's character died a quote-unquote innocent man, I never liked him. I didn't really feel any impact of his death, right?
1: Well, and it's really, that's one of the things that's kind of confusing is that he's supposed he is to be bad innocent... Dude. But he was attacking her for no reason, yeah. as far as we can tell.
0: He was playing the role of the villain so well is that sometimes his behavior just didn't seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. And you just, you didn't get this sort of gentle feeling from the guy, like, this is a guy that you would relax, stretch out on a couch, and tell all your secrets <laughs> to. You just wouldn't. You wouldn't. I be- I believe him as sort of a space bounty hunter, for instance. Yes. <laughs> but maybe not as a psychiatrist. <laughs> So, all in all, kind of a mixed bag. It's not like an out-and-out catastrophe. It held my attention. Yeah,
1: certainly watchable.
0: It's watchable, but it's certainly not something that I would get enthusiastic and tell somebody you have to see. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, it reminds me of when, when Lee Beckman and I did Werewolves, and we talked about a movie Wolfin, which advertised itself. It looked like a werewolf picture, and it sounded like a werewolf picture, but it wasn't. And this is kind of where I lined up with this movie. It's fine, but it's not really a psychic thriller. And it advertises itself as one. So uh, if for some reason you chose to listen to this review without watching it, I would definitely put that warning sign up. If you're looking to watch a psychic thriller, this well, is not Well, but for that. the
1: majority of the movie it is that, though, right? Just because it turns out. there's it a not. different explanation.
0: Well, I talked with Brendan about this with the Bigfoot movies. Mm-hmm. There's one of the Bigfoot movies where the big twist is that it's not a Bigfoot If you call your movie Bigfoot The Lost Coast Tapes (laughs) There should be a Bigfoot in it That's just my opinion (laughs) Uh, So I guess her insight Was her realization Was not her having a sixth sense Her insight was her realization That her mother had died And that she had a psychotic Mm -hmm. break And she needed to fix things And she invented this whole crazy Investigation in her own mind And you know Basically, it's one of these movies. It's sort of a Fight Club or Shutter Island type of thing, where the the movie opens on crazy person, and we follow this crazy person through their sad story. Um, but I, I I put it in company of much better movies. There, <laughs> <laughs> I loved
2: my wife forever. Of course, forever. <sighs> All right. But you still killed her, didn't you? <laughs> Crime from the past
0: has obsessed her. That was Roman Strauss. That was his wife, Margaret. He stabbed
2: her in the throat with a lovely pair of of (laughs) barbacissons. For whatever reason, these events are consuming her. A stranger Ah, my church. has found her.
1: Why are you helping me?
2: I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I feel sorry for you. Maybe I like you. How far back are you? 1948. Hypnosis can take us back to our past lives. You expect me just to run with that? There's a lot more people on this planet who believe in past lives than don't. What do you
1: see? Mr. Strauss? Mike, someone wants to kill me.
2: Those are just dreams. They're not real. The more she trusts him, it's okay. The more she fears him.
1: This is exactly what happened with Roman and Margaret. I'm not Roman. She had a pair of scissors.
2: To be the man who ended her life Roman? more than 40 years ago. He was gonna kill me. You saw Mr. Church in the past. I'm not Roman!
0: Okay, dead again. This is 1991. I was in high school when this came out, but I do remember seeing it in the theater. I do believe I watched it with my sister. Um, at the time, Kenneth Brenal was sort of making his first American splash. Actually, he kind of winks at himself the first time his character is introduced. In the film, his car is parked on the opposite side of the street, pointed Mm -hmm. in the wrong direction. Uh, So, Kenneth Branagh and his then-wife, Emma Thompson, are basically showing up to conquer Hollywood in the early 90s. And um, this was sort of their first project. It's written by Scott Frank, and it's a very hard movie to just sort of nail down a plot in one sentence. Um, Basically... The core story is set in modern times, uh, present day, 1991, quote-unquote. Emma Thompson has no memory of who she is. And she finds her way to this uh, church. Convent. Convent, thank you. Uh, The same place, coincidentally, houses orphans and whatnot. Same place that this uh, private detective played by Kenneth Renaud grew up. And they basically call him and... uh, guilt him into solving this case for them and basically taking her off their hands. And, uh, uh, of course, in true sort of Hollywood convention, like it would never happen if you were a serious detective or investigator, he falls in love with the, with the center of this investigation. And the more he discovers about who she is and this past life story that we get into when he meets Derek Jacoby, this uh, antiques collector slash Psychic, I guess. He can. Well, He's a hypnotist. hypnotist. <laughs> he's a hypnotist who can get people to regress to either get rid of a childhood scare or, in some cases, regress into their past lives.
2: And but he's this, also
1: a con artist because he uses those <laughs> memories to find good antiques.
0: <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> we find out in the past that, that there's a very famous murder case that has taken place. Uh, A famous composer has killed his wife, or was put to death for killing his wife. And uh, we are seeing, in these series of flashbacks, the events leading up to the death. And in the flashbacks, the murderer, or the accused murderer, looks just like Kenneth Branagh, and the victim looks just like Emma Thompson. So it seems like their love was doomed in the past. It's probably doomed in the present. And uh, the mystery of who she really is and what their past means is all sort of swirled together. Again, it's not going to fit snugly in a little TV guide description. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's got great supporting work everywhere you look, too. Andy Garcia is in this movie. And a great small and uncredited role from Robin Williams. Mm It's
1: uncredited, huh?
0: Yeah, he doesn't show, uh, he was a big fan of Bernard, a lot of people were. He's still in his 20s, I think, late 20s when he made this movie. And he'd already, you know, directed and starred in Henry V and uh, made a couple of other smaller British movies. And, uh, you know, was sort of modeling himself as another Orson Welles type figure. Um, And he was backing it up, in fact, until... I think he did Frankenstein. I liked pretty much everything he put his name to. So and and I do tipping my hand count dead again is one of them. I do really mm. enjoy the movie. And you gotta think about this. He's in the center of the movie and he's directing it. Um and he's not sort of a laid back director. You get the feeling like he's very hands on. Mm. He went on to direct Thor and Jack Ryan and Deletrious. Were
1: they all they were already married at this point. They right? were married at this point. There's, There's point, something just so awesome about seeing them work together and also sort of heartbreaking knowing that they're not together anymore (laughs) yeah it's like well they they both seem to play off each other very well yeah Yeah, but still like there's just that like that playfulness and awesome dynamic i also like that that they're both playing americans
0: too uh and um one of the big tips twists of the movie is uh of course uh, as expected they are each the reincarnated version of these past lovers but not as we anticipate them, correct? Mm -hmm. Whereas she is he he in the past, and he is she in the past, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Uh, As hard as it is to explain, it's very coherent in the film. In fact, one of my only real complaints about the movie is maybe a little bit the level of sort of bombast to the score. It's a very sort of operatic, big... Da, 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 da. It's right. like,
1: but a lot of that is the period, right? When they cut back to the, the
0: yeah, well, the sort and, of
1: like early days of Hollywood, kind of time And it period, feels right. right with the
0: operatic mm, theme. He yeah. did write very dramatic music, uh, and I get the choice, but for me, it kind of feels overblown <laughs> at times. But I'm predisposed to like uh, like the movie, um, and uh, I do think that he, you know, he earned a lot of good grace has been me, both as a director and as an actor, from this movie. It, it wasn't Shakespeare, it wasn't sort of dry British humour. Uh, it was, you know, fast, exciting, and very much the equal of anything else that you'd be seeing in the theatres in 91. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought.
1: What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> see. Uh, no, I really... Definitely really like it. Again, I love watching the two of them together and I like the the twists and turns that some things you kind of suspect and see coming, but then there's plenty that surprises you. Yeah. Um yeah, the fact that because as her past life stuff is well established throughout most of the movie, right? And we just assume as there's she and everyone in the movie, assume that she is Margaret, the the past life Wife. victim, yeah, the victim, victim and that's when she's scared, you know, it starts out she can't even speak and she's having these nightmares about being stabbed and all this stuff um, but but I like that that twist when we find out that he realizes that he was Margaret
0: Scott Frank, who as I said needs to buy a last name who wrote the script for that, deserves a lot of points uh, there's a lot of twists and turns to the scripts but you don't necessarily feel manipulated There's a great scene where uh, Campbell Scott shows up claiming that he is the husband Mm -hmm. and he has all of this good compelling uh, evidence to the case, a wedding ring that that matches the description, a missing glove and he sells it really, really really, really well. And almost actually walks her out of the movie, problem solved, roll credits before Kenneth Brown catches at the last minute that the glove he brought happened to be for the wrong hand. It was a 50-50 yeah. chance. <laughs> right? um, but the great thing about that scene is that you kind of believed him. Like <laughs> The first time you see the movie, you believe that, like, oh, well, she's married. Yeah, that's he's not playing so... <laughs> it sketchy. He's just a relieved
1: spouse, right? And
0: uh, that's both a compliment to the performance and the script uh, in that respect. Like, uh, well played. Uh, the other thing about Dead Again I just wanted to say is that it seems to be, in a large respect, kind of a forgotten movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Not a lot of people either have seen it or seem to remember it. And I think it's a stro- like one of the strongest movies that Branagh directed, and mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the big reasons that I liked him. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see it when it first came out. I know I had seen it years ago, but probably just on video at some point. So I don't know what the... I have no f- frame of what the response was at the time yeah it's just Um, kind of one of those movies
0: it's a really well layered screenplay i even like when we find out who she is that she's this artist who lives in this loft and she's been obsessing with drawing all these paintings that have scissors in them. Mm-hmm. And in the past life, she was, of course, murdered by scissors. It was just a really nice touch. And then, of course, there's a convenience... Or she wasn't, really. Yeah. <laughs> but... Well, she I guess. Yeah. But I guess it would make sense that her she would still was. be obsessed. Because I guess she went, in her past life, you're right, in her past life, she was put to death for killing somebody with scissors. Yeah. And she hadn't.
1: But the memories and the nightmares she was having, really, like, if we think back I don't know if it would stand up to too much scrutiny yeah. but it's the horror of of the husband hearing and finding her yeah
0: and they right. did have a terrible fight that night and there there were there was a lot of confused imagery yeah um a, another great memorable scene uh Andy Garcia is one of the characters who actually tethers the past and the present and, and uh, I like Andy Garcia a lot but there's this problem with old age makeup. Yeah, that was a <laughs> Well, generally speaking, old age makeup, I don't think typically looks good. It's better to hire an old person. Mm-hmm. But I think the smart thing that they did with him, because the makeup wasn't that great, it was probably already in the script, but because they had him uh, a tracheotomy case where he was talking through a microphone in his throat and at one point actually smoking a cigarette. Through the hole in his throat, all through that scene, all I can look at <laughs> is the hole in his throat.
1: And of all, also because he wasn't just old, he was very sick, so he had all the like
2: tubes weird and stuff, mom,
1: like blotches all over his skin, and weird, like he just would look very unhealthy. So it wasn't like, try, like they were trying to make an average-looking old person. Yeah. So they could kind of get away with the over-the-top weird makeup stuff. Plus, it was the 90s. The effects are different than what we would see now, right?
0: Yeah. But, and again, he's another thing that you thought, well, where, where are they going with that character? He was a romantic mm-hmm. rival. You don't quite believe him that he would be the murderer, but yeah. he's got to play into the What plot does he somehow.
1: know about the story or what, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think basically we were uniformly positive mm-hmm. <laughs> about Dead again. Um, I guess it's a thin psychic thriller in that does that count? They're psychically bonded. There's a psychic nuance and I, I guess they have well, it's psychic... sort of
1: more about the past life connection as opposed to like what we consider psychic being like premonitions and knowing things. Right. Yeah.
0: But I do think it's closer to the mark than the previous movie we discussed, mm-hmm. so so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about that again? No. Last chance. Okay.
2: Give me your hands. I don't even do this anymore. Your brother, I'm telling you, he's, oh, he's really for real. He can make money doing this. For a while, I had an office, a website, newspaper articles, even had a book written about him. So what happened? I couldn't cope. Can I ask you a question? The job I had before
1: was as a psychic. What do you think happens when we die? I recognize you. You're that psychic. I have
2: news for you. I don't do it anymore. I give you my word. I won't tell anyone. You have a duty to do it because you have a gift. It's not
0: a gift, Billy. It's a curse. So I'm a fan of Clint Eastwood. Generally speaking, I'm a fan of Clint Eastwood. My, my dad was a, always a fan of the Westerns, and I uh, saw a lot of them from a young age. And um, <clears throat> Although I wasn't, like, I guess, I wanted to get an action figure of Clint Eastwood or wear a T-shirt or anything like that, as far as stuff Dad would watch, I could tolerate Clint Eastwood movies. And as much as I think <clears throat> he's fairly one-note... As far as playing a tough guy, I think he's a decent actor. Totally solid, actually. But I think he's a much better director. <clears throat> That's not to say that I love all of his movies, but I do think, like, a man who's just been on that many sets knows the difference between, you know, how to make a good, cohesive, friendly set where work can get done and knows, you know, the people what the people did wrong, who did wrong. I just don't think you can have a career that long in Hollywood. And not absorb some of that knowledge. So, in 2010, he's very prolific. At this point, not only is he making a movie a year in his 80s, but most of them are being nominated for Oscars. (laughs) He takes uh, Matt Damon and centers him in this Hereafter movie. Um, Fairly ambitious, psychically themed drama. And I think that's what uh, I would probably want to say loud and clear to everybody is that this is in no way i think a horror movie i think this is sort of a very spiritual sort of psychic drama and i think maybe if you can get into that headspace when you get into it uh you maybe will catch the wave a little bit better than others i think if you go into it wanting to be scared or wanting you know to sort of roll up your sleeves into a psychic thriller you are once again going to be disappointed it's also, and I say this in in interest of warning, just to, for most of the people who are looking listening to this like horror movies, it's quite long, and the narrative is sort of split in three. We actually have three protagonists, arguably, in this movie. There's a French reporter who suffers a, a near-death experience in the tsunami. She suffered a terrible injury and experienced... A near-death experience so that's sort of where the movie begins. We also are met this little boy who's being raised in utter poverty in London who uh, not only has to deal with the fact that his uh, mother is falling apart and maybe losing custody of him but the fact that his older brother who he's idolized and looked up to and has taken care of him has recently died in a terrible accident. And our third and final protagonist is of course Matt Damon, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he's a person who's had psychic gifts he can communicate directly with the dead and get information from people who have passed on upon request, but who, instead of exploiting this gift, actually has served hiding from it, and we're introduced when his brother sort of guilts him into showing an important client that he has these powers. So anyway, yeah, Matt Damon's our third third protagonist, and um, it basically takes almost the first hour of the movie to set up our three
2: protagonists,
0: (laughs) and uh, we jump back and forth between them. Eventually, they all sort of tie up in a nice little bow at the end of the movie, but uh, you're not spoon-fed. You just kind of take this movie as it comes. I think this is as close as Clint gets almost to an art piece, (laughs) that the narrative is not straightforward. Uh, I was kind of a little resistant to the movie at first. First time I saw it, I was a little bit disappointed. But when I revisited it, I found that I did like it more. But I do think that all of those problems that I uh, that are they're simultaneously interesting and they're problems. The fact that we have three different narratives to set up and pay off actually kind of weighs down the movie
2: mm-hmm.
0: and makes you not sure what each what the weight of each scene is, how important what you're watching is because there's no very clear through line it's a meditation on spirituality (laughs) and that's interesting if you're in that mood but you're you're going to get into this bath and you're going to sit in it for the long haul right it's like over two hours long and um i think in a way the fact that it starts with a very impressive rendition or, or, or rendering of the tsunami it sort of starts you off expecting this. Yeah, sort of there's a
1: huge sort of adrenaline rush, yeah. and it's very emotional trying to, like, just, I can't, well, it, all that water. It, it, like it'd be it's horrifying, and, and it's, it's hard brilliantly
0: to rendered, but nothing in the rest of the movie comes close to it. Yeah. Same thing emotionally, the story of the little boy, whose trials are just get worse and worse mm-hmm. with the movie.
1: And you said older brother, it's older by 12 minutes, they're twins, and We're they're twins. like almost talk together, like they're, yeah, they're, um, they're, they're, they're so bonded so much the same, and he was on the phone, yeah, listening to it happen when he gets hit by a car. Well, I was just
0: going to say that first moment, much like the tsunami, it's devastatingly handled yeah. that moment, like it really hits, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you almost think like, in a way, that these... There are three storylines here, three individual movies, or something like that, that by themselves kind of work, but together I'm not sure if they do.
1: Yeah, I don't really remember my impression the first time I watched it. It's been quite a while, but just watching it again, so today or yesterday, um, I did definitely feel that drag of like wanting it to come together faster. Yeah, felt like it could have been.
0: And again, isolated scenes. All the scenes I talk about by themselves, I really like. Mm -hmm. Matt Damon makes a connection with this uh, cute redhead in this cooking class, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who's about to become Hollywood's biggest thing because Jurassic World is breaking so many Mm -hmm. box office records. Um, It's a really interesting sort of tragic mini-movie that happens in this movie. He connects with this girl, and then just by sheer accident, his secret gets spilled. She hears a message on his machine from his brother that mentions his powers. And she presses him to basically prove it. Because I feel she's skeptically minded. And he tells her, you know, I don't do this because it scares people off. And she insists. And he does it. And it scares her off. I thought that really worked, you know, and I thought she played it well. <laughs> um, but it's almost too personal, right? Uh, I think what was implied in that exchange is her father said he was apologizing for what he did to her. Like, some sort of abuse is what was implied yeah, in her reaction. Implied, and the yeah. fact that not only did she run from him, but she never spoke to him again, she never came back to the class. She believed him and was horrified and fled from
1: him. Or just it was too uncomfortable, like, knowing he said that. Like, sometimes knowing everything about somebody is not the best thing. Yeah. And that's exactly the case, right? Like, this new person that she liked him was interested in, now knows yeah. all of the horrors of her life, right? That's not the best place to start to get to know somebody.
0: It's kind of frustrating because I do think that there is uh, a really good movie to be made about these near-death experiences, and uh, there. I mean, I, I still retain my, skeptic, you know, my skepticism when it comes to that. I kind of believe that it's the big sleep. Uh, you know, no aches, no pains just sleep (laughs) Um, but uh, you hear a lot of physicians who uh, have been made believers just by the sameness of the accounts that they've heard and uh, there is a sameness of accounts across the world uh, which, as far as the tunnel of life, the tunnel of light or seeing relatives sort of talking you through, or the experience of being able to see yourself from a top view down all of these things happen cross-culturally all over the place. And that's really fascinating as to why that would take place. And if there's not a supernatural explanation, whatever the explanation must be, would be equally fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's not what this movie really gets into. And it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> anyway, um, the French journalist... um sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm going to totally get her name weird because... I'm a dude. <laughs> Cecily de France, or Cecile de France, perhaps?
1: Cecile?
0: Cecile, let's say. Um, I will say, of the three storylines, I kind of found hers the least compelling, and um, that there was a very ob- obvious trajectory. For some reason, I just always thought, like, her husband is trying to be supportive but doesn't believe a word of it. He's Mm -hmm. trying to be supportive, but she thinks she's crazy, and he's not being supportive. Well, not even husband,
1: I don't think. I think they're... Well, yeah. Dating, I don't think they live together. But he was also her manager. Right.
0: They were tied more... Sorry, yeah. It wasn't a marriage. Work together,
1: and they have a romance. Yeah. But But,
0: he utterly abandons her. Yeah. In a way, it starts out as like it was the worst thing that could have happened to her. And I do think it's a clever, again, enough conceit that when Matt Damon finally meets her... At the end of, towards the end of the movie and they shake hands and he has a flash and he realizes that she didn't write the book because she was a, ha- a hack or anything like that. She really did have the experience and she seems to recognize it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of fleeing from him, like because they have the shared experience, mm-hmm. they end up bonding. And she can him.
1: handle it and yeah, he can finally be close to someone. It's a little bit...
0: And that works in a it's simple way. It's good. We a, want that for C. them, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does.
0: But, like, it probably could have done that in 100 minutes.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Instead of 150.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where... I think even just, like, cutting it faster. Like, even if all the scenes were still there, but just edited it down somehow. Yeah. To make it go smoother.
0: I gotta say, though, um, Matt Damon is every man, which is sort of the thing he seems to be doing when he's not... Doing the born thing, he's weirdly good at it. I mean, mm-hmm. he's Matt Damon. Even my mom. He's charming
1: and we want to like him, right?
0: Yeah, my mom swoons over Matt Damon. I remember my mother and I saw Goodwill Hunting in the theater <laughs> together and she just, thump, 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 she just loved the Matt Damon. And uh, he did sort of seem to me like these pretty boy actors. He was just like, he's going to be in the center of a bunch of movies and he's just doesn't we're not going to seem to belong there but he does seem to be weirdly good at playing like everyday guys in, in a believable way in a way like some people just can't do that like you just never buy Angelina Jolie as a cocktail waitress right it's just, you just don't believe it for some reason for some reason that Damon's good at uh, he can play sort of the you know Hollywood action star super hunk but he can also play kind of a oafish dude and I think that that's easier said than done in a lot of ways so I like a lot about the movie but I can't get excited about it I would I maybe more excited about this one than insight and I do think that the rendering of the tsunami that sequence is like amazingly well yeah. done.
1: well, I think generally like it's really good at playing whatever the emotion of the scene is it yeah. is effective in in conveying the emotion right like, like, Especially like the tsunami and also the boys, right? Like yeah. just all of that.
0: Well, we keep talking about, like, I like this around. scene, I like this scene, I like this scene. I like all of those scenes. But for some reason I'm not hot on the movie yeah. overall. Weird.
2: In a small southern town. Oh, guys! Mama a like I ain't got any left though. In the quiet heart of Hatcher County. It's about this time last year his daddy passed away. He's still real messed up over it. There are no strangers. You're not that Wilson that's a fortune teller, are you?
1: I don't call myself that. You think we'll live
2: happily ever after? There are no secrets.
1: What's, What's mad? Matter? You see something bad?
0: And the only thing more
2: unusual than a disappearance... We got to the end of the road in our investigation. We looked under every we rock right there is to look under. Is there anything you can tell us at all? Is that the only witness... ...wasn't even
0: there. Um, okay. So, The Gift. This is a phase in Sam Raimi's career where he was trying to go legit. For, like, he'd been having great success doing all these oddball, Evil Dead, dark Man, you know, Quick in the Dead, crazy movies. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, high fives all around, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, I, you get the feeling like he wanted to be a filmmaker. So there's a couple of these, he did, um, A Simple Plan, and The, the Gift, and, uh, there's a couple others where it just, you know, he kind of calmed down with the crazy camera effects and would sort of tell a more straightforward story or, you know. And because he was still Sam Raimi, he could really put together a great cast. That's definitely true for The Gift. Everybody in this movie is awesome. <laughs> like, wall to wall talent. But in a way, it's kind of interesting because mm-hmm. he's sort of. Uh, it's, a, it, it's not a pure, in a way, Sam Raimi movie in my mind, in that I think when I think of Sam Raimi, it's the movies that kind of grab you and sh- sort of shake you and, and force you through the experience mm-hmm. of this movie. <clears throat> Army of Darkness just keeps throwing shit at you and doesn't give you time. <laughs> To to even think or judge what's happening before something else happens. And you would never guess that the person who who made Army of Darkness made the gift. And uh, I guess that says he's very versatile as a director. Because I love Army of Darkness. And I really like the gift, too. Uh, Big fan. He even makes use of Keanu Reeves, effectively.
1: Uh, That was one of my notes. Yeah.
0: Keanu Reeves is straight up good in this movie. Yes. And I mean, I'm, I'm not even a Keanu Reeves hater, but I mean, I, I usually say, you know, yeah, I see what you're saying about Keanu Reeves, but you know, he has this—he's got certain things going for him. In this case, he's solid, and you know, he's a supporting character. But like I say, Hilary Swank is a supporting character in this movie. J.K. Simmons is a supporting character in this movie. Giovanna Ribisi, Katie Holmes—it just—it's—it's it's crazy the people <laughs> that are in it. And it's all built around uh, Kate Blanchett, who plays a mother of, I don't know, five, three, three? Three. (laughs) several uh, single mom who's living in the bayous and who makes money under the table on the side reading cards. And she's legitimately psychic. The screenplay was co-written by Billy Bob Thornton and Tom Epperson, and it's inspired by Billy Bob Thornton's grandmother, who he claims was legitimately psychic. So there it is (laughs) um Mm -hmm. over and above it being about kate blanchett uh for the thriller angle of course there is a murder that takes place um she actually has a vision of this young couple she meets uh, greg kinnear and uh, katie holmes come into her office and she sees a vision that something bad's gonna happen but of course no one's gonna believe her at that point katie holmes ends up dead the investigation swirling around it Peripherally starts to increasingly involve her, and she gets caught in this web. Um, yeah, so I've already sort of tipped my hands. I liked it a lot, <laughs> um, but what does what does Lolo think? Oh, it's a gift.
1: Totally, totally a solid movie. Uh, yeah, I think it's really well done in a lot of a lot of ways. There aren't too many holes to poke through it. It's pretty entertaining and.
0: I felt it kind of honest about the portrayal of sort of these um, bio, I, people would sort of dismiss it as red trash, sort of very low income people that you, typically you're making fun of them.
1: White trash, redneck.
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> said red trash. Did I? Oh my yeah. god,
0: Lizdexia strikes again. <laughs> uh yeah, but that that sort of conceit is typically like a comedy environment, right? Uh, not only is this—it's
1: just these people living their lives, right? She's going to the principal to see about her kids misbehaving, and she's dealing with her husband being dead, and yeah. it's just legitimate, you know.
0: But it, it, it it's looking at them in sort of a non-judgmental way. Like the, I think that the Hillary Swank and Keanu Reeves couple was sort of a really good example of that. Um, she's making a lot of bad decisions, but they're kind of, she's sort of stubbornly sticking to them, and uh, Keanu Reeves is the kind of guy that she just ended up with, but you don't feel like it's a cartoon character. You believe her, and you believe him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's awful, and she's, you know,
2: really yeah. got it. And in
1: a lot of ways, he's so, like, over-the-top awful, which is maybe why it works for Keanu, because he's not there's no, he does not trying to do anything subtle. Yeah. Right. So maybe that's where his, his acting is best. When he, he can't accomplish subtle. Yeah. But, but it's not a caricature caricature, right? He's yeah. just angry, right? And yeah. just full on nasty the whole time.
0: A, l- a lot of the people in the movie are sort of walking wounded, uh, none more so than uh, the Giovanni Ribisi character. Um, and I think he's always just this weird kettle of crazy energy. And I get the feeling like that's just Giovanni Ribisi in real life. <laughs> but I love his role in this movie. And in fact, uh, it's one of these movies that actually uses a twist. If you listen to my podcast, I call bullshit on it in the past. I hate it in movies when they kill off a character. And then that character's ghost shows up to save the day. <laughs> it's something that genuinely bothers me. And it sort of happens in this movie. But I give it a pass. A, because we didn't even know at the time that that character was dead. (laughs) They didn't set it up in that way. So um, I thought the twist worked with the Giovanna Rubisi character. Mm -hmm. But there's just an amazing conversation.
1: And we already believe in her psychic connection, right? And her personal connection with him. It's not... A far cry for that story, for him to be there for her.
0: And it's great that he's there for her, because otherwise the last time they talked to each other was, it would have been really tragic. You kind of mm-hmm. feel like he didn't like the way it ended either, so mm-hmm. he wanted to come talk to her, and he was there to to save her, as it were, sort of be a little guardian angel. And it's the most calm and the most sane you see him throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible scene of confrontation between him and the Keanu Reeves character, but Reeves shows up to bravely threaten one of Kate Brown Blanchett's kids, and Giovanna Ribisi threatens him, and that confrontation practically had me on my feet the first time I saw <laughs> it. I was just like, that's an amazing performance. And the movie's full of strong scenes like that. So, uh, yeah. It's interesting that uh, the, movie, the other movie made around the same time, The Simple Plan, which had Billy Bob Thornton in it, uh, is the one that kind of got all the praise heaped upon it because i think the gift is every bit as good in fact much better This <laughs> yeah
1: i never keep track of those kinds of things so right. i assume that this movie would have had a fair response to it and it's it fairly did, well it did, established right it's, it did well i mean like it,
0: a... it, it, it was well received no it didn't get a lot of negative reviews but uh It wasn't Oscar bait or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It kind of came and it kind of went. Um, And after this, he spent the next almost decade on Spider-Man movies to diminishing returns in some respect. So now that Sam Raimi's kind of going full circle and returning back to things like Drag Me to the Hell or this Wizard of Oz movie, which is a much more chaotic sort of piece of entertainment, you wonder if he's ever going to dip back to do these ones again or if he's just... Mm -hmm. Going back to what he knows. I, for one, am glad that he kind of went out of his comfort zone, uh, if that's indeed what it was. Like I said, I think it was sort of him trying to get more legitimate projects thrown his way. He doesn't have to do every superhero movie, necessarily. He doesn't have to just do genre. He, he was trying to say, I'm Sam Raimi, and as it turns out, I can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of believe that to be true. So.
1: I think he can do it.
0: I <laughs> well, I I will watch whatever he produces. I I will I won't say that he's flawless. In fact, there are some samurai movie movies that I I came away with my head hanging low. I just the gift wasn't one of them. Um, yeah. Uh, the subplot in this movie I keep on I'm all hung up on the Giovanna Rubisi character, but it is one of my favorite elements. There was one sort of beat that uh, I thought was kind of I don't know. I I just never knew how to sit with it. His subplot, he's been seeing her for a long time and uh, he seems to be basically she's taking care of himself. Giovanna Rubisi had been coming to her for advice for like a good long period of time and uh, you got the feeling that there was a fragile psyche there. Uh, When we find out why, he's always going on about this triangle what was it the blue, watched, diamond. the blue diamond thank you he watched it more recently than i and we find out it's like a tattoo that his father has and there's some sort of like crazy ugly sexual abuse going. A tattoo on his navel yeah On his. yeah
1: so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty
0: <laughs> uh it, it was just a weirdly specific and and strange like angle on the screenplay you knew something really harsh and dark was going to happen to have made him as damaged as he was but the fact that it was that implicit that they went back to, like to that detail i don't know uh and again a very i think
1: st- it's kind of implied that he couldn't remember like because obviously he's got some sort of mental deficit right yeah. so he wasn't aware of why he was so upset all the time yeah and then when he finally
0: found out gets he gets that clarity setting his old man on up. fire yeah. In another pretty impressive sequence. Yeah. Um, Katie Holmes, interesting. She doesn't have a lot to do in the movie. Uh, She sort of plays the murderer. Kind obnoxious. Well, yeah, you don't really get to know a of, every. It seems like uh, she was a, in a lot of ways, a a victim waiting to happen. All of the decisions she was making <laughs> seemed to be begging in some way or another that that her life was going to end tragically. Yeah, well, we
1: don't get to see her as a really full character. The only scenes we see of her really, she's sort of this spoiled rich girl. Yeah. Who's playing around on her fiance with pretty much everybody and
0: bored and fake with just, her fiance. Yeah and uh, belligerent and drunk with her lover and you know a victim yeah. uh but uh she this was one of the last films that she did before uh the her age with tom cruise where uh she was no longer allowed to do r-rated movies <laughs> was the was the rumor
1: well we saw enough of her tits in this one anyway. yes i guess there is some
0: <laughs> katie holmes movie if that interests. um yeah. Should we just end on Katie Holmes' movie? I, I don't know. I, I feel like a, <laughs> I was kind of all over the place with the plot. Kate Blanchett's amazing in the movie. I, we didn't really talk enough about her. <laughs> but, yeah. So.
1: And I think as I, I mean, probably in most of her role, she has this like quiet, sort of almost fragile appearance. But when it comes down to it, she's just incredibly strong. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of why she's so awesome. Yeah. That's just her presence is this quiet strength.
0: And, uh, you know, the, the, she's got this real nobility to her. She's living a hard life. A lot of people either don't believe her, think she's a charlatan, and other people think she's a witch. She's got all these kids to look after. Mm-hmm. This person who would directly... a huge
1: part of, part of the community, they all rely on her and come to her regularly, right? Yeah. Like, so it's not that she's but ostracized. Even she's the
0: Keanu Reeves character, who had threatened the lives of not just her, but her kids, when she realizes the wrong man's in jail, <laughs> she... Does everything she can to get him out. She's just, uh, and you believe it. It's not just like the screenplay made her do that. You mm-hmm. you believe her one hundred percent. And it's really hard. It's, the haunted house movies have the séance scene all the time, and I think it's one of the hardest things to bring credibility to. Is you know I'm going to put you into a trance or I'm going to read these cards for you in a way that I believe something's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like I said, Kate Blanchett could she could play with the frog in the Muppet movie. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: How about it? Dr. Matheson. You can't imagine how pleased I am to see you. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, this is Dr. Matheson, actually.
1: That's Dr. Buckley. Oh, I'm sorry. There are two kinds of people out there with a special gift.
2: The ones who really think they have some kind of power. (laughs) other guys who think we can't figure them out no leo correct your position you're right richard vargas i'm calling richard vargas in the name of god they're both wrong
1: so have you been working for matheson long or are you a psychologist too or magician actually i'm a physicist so why do you do this do what investigate fake paranormal stuff simon silver perhaps the most celebrated psychic of all time will visit us here in just under three weeks there will be a mad rush for tickets are there no real challenges left out there
2: silver is a real challenge silver's already been investigated yeah like 30 years ago we should investigate him now
0: (gasps) so we're going to talk about red lights which stars your boyfriend killian murphy it's interesting, when I first found this movie, I'd never heard of it. It was just showed up on a shelf on a rack of DVDs. And I looked at it, and I'm like, Sigourney Weaver, Robert De Niro, Killian Murphy, who else is it? Toby Jones is in here. Uh, why haven't I heard of this movie? Like, it actually raised some flags. Makes nice, you suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, basically, on the strength of the cast, and the fact that it was a thriller, and that I'm a movie junkie... Uh, I picked it up, and I don't necessarily regret it. <laughs> um, I really like the approach in that this is a psychic thriller taken from a skeptical perspective. Sigourney Weaver mm-hmm. plays uh, Margaret Matheson, who I like to think was ba- named after Richard Matheson, who's a great genre author, um, but I don't know that. <laughs> uh, and her partner, you know, Killian Murphy, basically teach courses and spend time. Looking into psychic phenomena and generally speaking, debunking it. Um, they're, you know, they're earnestly interested in the subject. They're not sort of pointing the finger and saying "ha ha," but they are legitimate scientists. But she does
1: say she's never seen a legitimate case, she has, right? Not. So it's just
0: yeah, she has not. Uh, and uh, I think that she would be very interested to see something that was a legitimate and and would be somewhat open to it, it like. She wouldn't necessarily always be looking for the trick, but she spends so much of her life looking for it that she doesn't believe it anymore, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or if she ever did. I, I, I don't think you necessarily have to be a believer to find it fascinating and, and, and want to study it. Um, but I like that approach. And I like that she's very strong and fearless about her investigation. And that's why a big red flag goes up for uh, the character Killian Murphy plays Tom when she uh, won't investigate this Robert De Niro character, who's a very famous sort of auditorium-filling, multi-million dollar showman, psychic performer. And uh, she seems vaguely threatened or just unwilling. It's just not worth it. Too big a fish, Mm -hmm. which is out of character for her.
1: And she won't discuss it or anything. Everything's really...
0: So, this really sort of we get the impression that that really sticks in tom's and as of like well he's gonna do it he'll be the young up-and-comer what is it about this case and the more he looks into it the more problematic it becomes and the more it tests everything that he's come to understand it's the basic plot of red lights and uh mm-hmm. I, I think when she ref- which you originally first read lights, the things that, are, that will tip your hand as to that the, a the, the trick is taking place is sort of like the idea, right? Um, so who's tricking who? Is it all real or is any of it real? Is the basic theme of the movie. What did you think, Lolo?
2: <laughs> well,
1: I quite liked it. Uh, and not just because killian Murphy is in it, although but that, that may have played into it a little bit. Yeah. But one of the biggest things I actually really liked is the relationship between him and Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Um, it's very sort of familial and 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 intimate in a in a sort of good way, but they don't go over the top trying to explain that or. or it's not
0: heavy-handed, but it's one hundred percent there. Yeah. It's they have just a, like
1: this genuine rapport that they have.
0: A deep respect. Love even of each other. Mm-hmm. They, they, they get each yeah. other. and I it's think
1: almost mother son. Like there's definitely elements of that, but not entirely that. And the more, we and le- not in a really simplistic way either.
0: Yeah, the, bo- the more we learn about Sigourney, the more we get that that she has a son that's been living in a coma, and she's. I think that's one of the big things that she would like to have proof that psychic energy Mm -hmm. exists or the auras exist or some afterlife exists because she could make her peace a little bit more with what had happened with her son right yeah and with what was increasingly happening to her because she's not well in the movie (laughs) she's have some health issues um, and I kind of I, I saw the trajectory of that character—that she was sort of the Gandalf character, the character that Tom felt safe with, and the character mm-hmm. that he would always ask questions. So necessarily, she would have to be removed <laughs> from the equation, mm-hmm. and that's just something that happens with these movies. And uh, I didn't see it coming. But... Uh, so, but even though I saw it coming, I was like, "Oh, don't take Sigourney <laughs> Weaver from this movie. I love me some Sigourney Weaver." Um, but he he has to face the villain alone, right? that's sort of how these things work um so that's the end I think that's where I have problems with it I think that they might have dropped their ball a little bit on the villain the De Niro character because in the end his, he's basically he's a he's a showman with gangster tactics if he feels threatened he, you know he doesn't pour on the psychic vibe he sends a goon to try and come beat you up right <laughs> And, uh, he had, you know, you'd expect something a little bit more intelligent or a little bit more manipulative or something than, you know, to him, for him to set the goon yeah, squad. Yeah, I
1: guess the goon thing really is inconsistent with...
0: And it, in a way, it's see. almost, it feels when it's happening like this is going to be the climax of the movie. Is Tom getting the shit kicked out of him in the bathroom? I was so
1: brutal. <laughs> And not just because I love killing. Women. No, it was a, he,
0: he he gets the shit. Kicked <laughs> but like, yeah, the it's, like it's skull ugly.
1: crushing, pounding on the pavement kind of sounds <clears> and <throat> blood everywhere.
0: And so, like, I think that I think that it would be more interesting if De Niro's character was a little bit more complex. He was smug, but he wasn't smart. I think he should have been able to earn that smugness a little bit more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the,
1: although for a good portion of it, at least, it seems like he's smug because he's legit, right? Yeah. Like we don't.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, like, when before you complex. understand the twist of the movie, uh, it's really f- sort of frustrating and odd, because it's just like, none of this makes sense, none of this makes sense. And in this is sort of how the true sort of telling of a good twist, is once it's revealed, retroactively it does make sense. It was worth it to stick the movie out, even though you thought they were dropping the ball, they weren't necessarily. Mm-hmm. The twist is that Tom is psychic. Killian Murphy's character is a psychic, and as cool as that is, and as cool as the, the fact that the psychic phenomenon is basically his frustration expressing itself and in his inability to expose Robert De Niro and his dealing with the loss of his friend, and I think realization, and that's one of the things that I got the second pass, that Sigourney knew, hey? I kind of got the feeling mm. like Sigourney Weaver might have even put it together, Because of, like, when they do the flashback and she looks at him and she just shakes her head and says, Where did you spring from? There's just, like, there was something in that relationship that they they gave each other hope because they were kind of polar opposites in in that respect. But, uh, in another way it kind of breaks my heart because I I would love to see a movie that legitimately took people who took paranormal phenomena seriously investigate it and not have it actually be legitimately paranoid, because in the real world it almost never is, right? Yeah, so
1: well, that's mostly what Their life was was yeah. it not being like any of the people who claimed to be paranoid. Yeah. None of them were and that's why he was in that field was to try and find, find somebody like, like him.
2: himself
0: And sort of like the whole, we were talking about hereafter, Matt Damon making a connection with somebody who legitimately could understand him. In a weird way, Matheson could legitimately understand him. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And in a weird way, if De Niro had been the real deal, De Niro could have legitimately understood him. Mm -hmm. But uh, that confrontation, it it doesn't necessarily feel like a win. I guess uh, De Niro is kind of outed in publicly that he's intimidated and frightened of this kid who was trying to expose him. But he hasn't made a new friend. And he hasn't solved the riddle. Why is there no one like me? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing but was, about there's that that's whole, not interesting. There's it's,
1: this whole, like, uh... What's the word? Subplot? No, voiceover. Right, right. Where he's talking... This narration where he's going on... I forget the exact line, but... Basically, the effect of just, like, just accepting it. And... And accepting who he is. Mm-hmm. And going with it. It's basically this sort of overlying thing that's sort of... I think that's happening just after the whole auditorium exploding scene. Right. Or maybe during. Where he's just like, this is me.
0: And he does sort of kind find of a levy relationship with Elizabeth Olsen. Right.
1: Well, sort of a lovey distraction, really. When yes. it comes down to stuff happening.
2: Right.
1: He... Sends her off somewhere safe and puts her aside, and then he's not really all that bothered. I mean, maybe he is bothered, but it's not the priority, right? It's just somebody to be with.
0: I he was think. saving himself for you.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't matter me yet.
0: Uh, and I do want to give the, the, the twist credit. Like, I didn't figure the movie out, mm-hmm. and a lot of the times I do and like De Niro was fine in it i just expected more of his character like he played the yeah. role fine i was just a little bit disappointed that the twist was that tom was psychic even though it completely works uh you know uh, i i kind of really like the idea of these you know professional skeptics out on a war to to fight the bullshit <laughs> that i do think that that could make but even that a is scary movie do you know? what they're doing right yeah and and that is legit he wants but, to yeah.
1: fight the bullshit but there's all yeah something about that line that he about accepting it there was that echoed or not echoed but since I watched Hereafter After After, it was (laughs)
0: Hereafter After?
1: after? Yeah um there's a similar vibe of of uh Matt Damon like accepting who he is Yeah and just going with it not fighting it anymore there was a similar thing to it but anyway I liked it
0: Yeah Overall, I really did too, and at the rate it came and went so rapidly, I, I have a feeling this. Sometimes is a
1: little... I just kind of wonder what else was out there at the yeah. same time that just got more attention and. It just... But I
0: get the feeling that this might be one that people have missed, and mm-hmm. uh, it's actually totally worth a look. Yeah. So I just want to say that um, uh, I can't read. Rodrigo Corti Cortez is the name of the director. He directed a Ryan Reynolds movie called Buried, where apparently Ryan Reynolds is buried the movie, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, tell me about the opening <laughs> scene in Red Light.
1: Just minor little points that I, that made me like it right from the beginning was that the opening scene is sort of this like subtle, well not so subtle, sort of obvious uh, feminist commentary where the people that they're going in to see assume that he's Right the doctor, the main doctor. They shake and He's like, hand. actually, actually, this is Doctor Matheson or whatever. And you get right? the feeling like that's happened. And she's a just lot. like, sorry, I should have worn my lab coat, right? Like that's like <laughs> her fault <laughs> yeah. for not identifying herself. Yeah. And right away, <laughs> oh,
0: I like I like where this movie's <laughs> headed. Yeah. Yeah. No, and uh, I like the respect with which they 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 handled the situation. They were gonna totally discredit these people, but while they were putting their show on, they let them put their show on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know
1: and they didn't make a big deal about like shutting it down either right like she just quietly talked to the little girl and said like don't worry it won't happen again and get rid of the hairdresser
2: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) bye (laughs) anyway that's it
2: if the future were in your hands the The house is burning would you change it it's not too late Touch this man's hand and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. Johnny, wait. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want to kill your own son? I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. Or of those you fear. I have had a vision. That I am going to be president of the United States someday, and nobody—I mean nobody—gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You're a devil. Send for me. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir.
0: So I was talking about Sam Raimi kind of uh, trying to get himself credit, doing more sort of straight-laced, legitimate, fair, rather than wackiness. Uh, David Cronenberg is always interested in doing genre crazy movies, but there was a time where, you know, he was basically doing for higher jobs for in Hollywood. (laughs) What's interesting out there, I want a paying gig. I like making my low-budget Canadian horror movies, but I'm not making the mad cash, so... What's a project that I can back a dump truck full of money to my house too, right? <laughs> and a lot of people will say there's not, not a lot of artistic sort of integrity. There's not a lot of art necessarily in that. Especially in somebody whose background is doing much more arty things and who would go on to do much more sophisticated things. Strange to it, though, in this period, he made two of my favorite David Cronenberg movies. One of them being the Jeff Goldblum Fly. The other being hmm. this one, The the Dead Zone. Hmm. Uh, it's based off of a novel by Stephen King, with the interesting conceit he wanted to write a novel where the main character is typically what we would see the worst person ever. And at the time, he was thinking it was someone who would be an assassin. At the time, the, the, the death of televised death of John F. Kennedy lays large in the American consciousness still does. But he wanted to tell a story about a guy who was trying to kill a president and he was right to do it. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was the conceit. It didn't quite play out in that he's, he's trying to kill a presidential candidate, but his reasons are is that Johnny Smith, as played by Christopher Walken, has been given this gift slash curse of being able to see the future, and upon shaking the hand of this presidential candidate, he sees that this man is crazy and will directly be involved with causing, essentially, the end of the world. This is where sort of the movie ends. One of the interesting things about it is that it's basically a fragmented story. There's sort of a bunch of little stories that Mm -hmm. get us to this big moment at the end. Mm -hmm. But we see the origin story of how Johnny gets his powers. And we see, you know, the discovery of the powers. And then we see him using his powers for good. And we sort of see him reconciling with his lost past. Uh, All of these, I think, really... Well handled, really interesting themes. It's a strong novel, it's a fairly strong conceit for a story, and I think in the hands of Cronenberg, you know, they could have been a lot worse. Uh, it's very Canadian made, and uh, we will spot the Canadian talent to the left and right of this, but uh, for a Hollywood, you know, sellout production, I thought Cronenberg brought some pretty good movie, but uh, I'm willing to hear a second opinion. So, uh, what does Lolo think of The Dead Zone?
1: Well, I certainly enjoyed it, maybe because I don't pay attention to the names. I don't even, I didn't even remember that it was a Cronenberg movie, so all that context in terms of what else he's done, it didn't really matter. I was just watching it as right. a movie. Um, of course, the Canadian content is fun to spot, and because it's a little bit older, then they're all young and shiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except the ones that weren't even young and shiny at that point. But, uh Um, it is kind of funny to see Christopher Walken so young and uh, like dorky, like the initial scenes with the fiance that like He looks like like a thirteen year old boy on the first day of school. It's really
0: (laughs) crazy. There's a scene early in the movie where he's reading the The Raven by Edgar Mm -hmm. Allan Poe. And it, it, it's not meant to be a funny scene at all, but there's just something so strange and hilarious. Well, and
1: he's just so earnest and excited about it, too. That's why, I like, the dorkiness of it yeah. is, is funny.
0: But a lot of good teachers are kind of dorks. Yeah. And I think you kind of get the feeling like Johnny just, Smith. We just
1: don't see him like that yeah. very often.
0: And, and he, because his persona has become increasingly dark and chalky and rough, you know, it's kind of nice. Like Johnny Smith is named Johnny Smith for a reason. He's kind of like the ultimate everyman, you know. Mm-hmm. And he had all of these great things, you know. He had a job that he loved. And he was a teacher and he was good at it. It was well suited to him. And he had this woman who he was in love with, uh, uh, Brooke Adams. And it's, very easy, to to be in love with her, she's, she's, she's cool, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of Brooke Adams, um, so, you know, what could possibly go, go wrong, well, a horrible, horrible car accident, and uh, putting him in a coma for several years, so much so that the time he wakes up, his beloved has married and uh, had a child with someone else, and uh, he is a forever changed person. And over and above having to deal with that rehabilitation, he finds he has this ability to see into the future, and specifically into the future, it seems, of negative events. The first and one of the more memorable ones, having to do with uh, the nurse who's taking care of him, her, her house is on fire, and he sees a vision. It's very well realized. It, it appears as if. His hospital bed and everything around him lights up. And he can see this little girl huddling, hiding in the corner of the Mm -hmm. room with all the flames around her. And it's very real. And it's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And he knows it. And uh, I think one of the strengths of uh, Christopher Walken's performance is, in spite of the fact that he is undeniably Christopher Walken and he looks dorky, when he grabs that nurse's arm and tells her, she's screaming, there's still time you believe him. <laughs> and, like, as that nurse, like, you, like, uh, it, it sort of brings my parental vibe. <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. you know, you want to believe in psychic power so someone could tell you that if that was happening to your kid, right? And uh, it, it was one of those great sort of accidental things when they shot that scene, uh, I found out in the documentary, uh, because they had fire on the end of the bed where uh, Christopher Walken was, they had to coat him in this gel, so when you look at that scene like the light's bouncing off his face and it looks crazy but it actually reads as sweat and it just mm-hmm. adds another like layer of craziness to that vision there's just it, even the accidents helped to make that sequence work yeah. and I think that that is the strength of the movie the visions that he has and, and Christopher Walken's reaction and dealing with them I think are very very strong
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, Martin Sheen shows up in this movie uh i'm a big martin sheen fan um uh, he was fresh off of i believe firestarter which was a coincidentally another stephen king movie at this time um but uh in the book he has a much bigger character we actually sort of as we follow the story of johnny's life we sort of peripherally follow his rise through being a a door-to-door salesman who kicks dogs to death when he's having a bad sales day to uh, a candidate for presidency in the movie in order to streamline it this is one of the things that got cut out Um, instinctively i think that maybe i would have cut out the the subplot of this murder it's interesting as well handled in the movie but it does seem like another movie in itself johnny helps the police department investigate a series of murders in the small Mm -hmm. town and he does successfully find the killer, and the killer happens to be a member of the police force. Um, all of that, that little Microsoft cause movie, <laughs> it, it really, it could be a movie by itself. And if you pulled that story out of the movie, the rest of the movie would still sort of click together and work, <laughs> right? Right. Um, I do like that that stuff is there, but it, it's, in a way, less necessary than, I think, having the shared sort of parallel rise of these two figures because the movie, or the story, is sort of the collision course between these two forces. Johnny obviously representing the force of sort of purity and good, and, you know, the Martin Sheen character, the opposite of that. And I think I missed that a little bit. As a result, the Martin Sheen character just seems like gone so crazy, kind of uh underexplored <laughs> lunatic in, in a way. And Stephen King does write characters like that. He has been guilty mm-hmm. of that in the, ca- in the past just in this case that character wasn't that he was actually very real and fleshed out and he wasn't just i mean he was evil but we knew him and in the movie we <laughs> don't
2: okay
0: uh, but i mean that's me looking for some thread to pull because I, I like the movie a lot so uh what did you think and this is something that's always such strange to me in the book and in the movie the brooke adams character sort of has that gives him that one day together
1: It's an odd choice. I think I can understand it. Yeah. Like, because she's accepted and loves her life now, but she knows that for both of them there's something there that's unsettled and without And. having time together.
0: I think it's significant. I'm not sure how clear it was in the book, but, like, she invited him to stay, to stay over, to yeah. consummate their relationship, and he chose to not. Yeah. Yeah so he chose to drive in in bad weather and get in a car accident rather than to sleep with her which was a really dumb decision to (laughs) make right um and you know to to him that was last week right to her something seven six Five five years yeah so uh but it is still interesting like that uh she would let them have that day yeah in reality
1: it's hard to imagine like doing that and being in a married relationship and going back to things and things being normal right in your marriage but at the same time like in movie world it it makes sense that she wanted she wanted to have it for her as much for him right right? that they needed she needed to acknowledge that part of their life and that they waited long enough as she said right yeah (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, I don't know. So, all of this culminates... Uh, I guess I do want to say that uh, there is an aberration to his visions, too. I don't know, like... I don't know if you could say this is breaking a rule. Because it is still, in a weird way, tied to death. But his doctor... He has a vision of his doctor being rescued... Uh, from World War II, from from being subjected to the horrors of internment and torture. But he recognizes in the vision that not only did this woman put this boy uh, in a safe place so that he would be rescued, but that she herself survived. So the potential of his power wasn't necessarily just to prevent the negative. Just to see the death,
1: but he could understand the other thing too, like he knew... He knew that she was alive and where she lived and where to find her, right? Like, just that, like, knowing, not just that he had seen it in the vision as we see it. Yeah. But that he knew a bigger story of it.
0: It's like Johnny Smith is uh, ostensibly, like, he becomes a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) He has all of these powers. Uh, So, uh, unfortunately... Well, interestingly, they did turn this into a TV series starring The Brain from uh, The Breakfast Club. Anthony Michael Hall. I haven't seen the show, but uh, but basically, it would become that. You know, he is a superhero. He is a psychic investigator. He can solve crimes or, or cure hauntings or whatever. Such is not the case that we're given here. And I think part of the strength and power of both the book and the <laughs> the movie is that um, he is unsuccessful in his assassination attempt. He does not kill the Martin Sheen character. But he destroys the Martin Sheen character. <laughs> so he's victorious and he dies in the arms of the person that he loves, knowing that he was victorious. But it still feels like this huge tragedy. This, the life of Johnny Smith was a huge tragedy. It was someone who was trying to do good and bad shit happened to him. And roll credits. And usually a movie like that doesn't leave me saying, wow, that was a good time. I think people should watch that. Mm -hmm. But I walk away from the dead zone in spite of all of that heaviness, saying that was entertaining. People should watch it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, it is made in the 80s. And yes, there are elements to it that are dated. But I actually kind of find it adds another layer of charm to it in a way. Seeing it through that filter. If if it really bothers you, just pretend it's all very specific Wes Anderson each set design. <laughs>
1: it's all retro.
0: Yeah, it's it's yeah. Honestly, um, I I get tired because I've heard people say you know. I'm not gonna watch a movie from 1982 because that's old, mm-hmm. right? Or movies that are black and white. Who says so that. That's bullshit. Old, right? <laughs> it is bullshit. It is bullshit. Sometimes you know people are wearing shoulder pads and hilarious hair, and they're asking you to take them seriously, and you just I mean, gotta mean, There
1: is a style to it. It's stiffer, right, than what we see in more modern movies that are like flashier and cut. They're cut way faster yeah, and that kind of stuff. a little less polished stuff, to know? it, but. But, whatever. It's a story. Yeah.
0: Watch the dead zone. So here it is after all of this build up. Two years, this episode's in the making. (laughs) My beloved wife, celebrating my anniversary, or our anniversary, my anniversary. I'm such just a Just It's just my anniversary. <laughs> I'll let you know when it's your...
2: <laughs>
0: no. It is our anniversary, and I think it was very sweet. Uh, Lauren marathoned these movies in the last 24 hours just to rewatch them and have them fresh in her mind to make sure she was all game for this. And uh, I think it's one of the more romantic things that we've done on our <laughs> anniversaries. <laughs> So far, uh, I appreciate you doing this because I know you're not super comfortable doing it. But uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're participating in ranking review. It's just one step closer to you listening to it. So <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so, what was your least favorite of these six psychic-themed movies, and why?
1: These were very hard movies to rank. They although really the, were. the least favorite is pretty, is the only really easy decision i find uh insight was my least favorite right i think it just didn't sort of hold up there was more there was more holes and things to sort of punch through it i'm not sure why it just didn't particularly resonate entirely with me fair enough um Really, the movies can be divided between, like, three movies that I really liked and three movies that I thought were okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's it's, it's hard to to mix them up and and to to decide between there, so... Yeah.
0: Something has to be at the bottom. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: All right. Next on the list, I did have Dead Zone, which may... I don't know.
0: That's okay. Mm -hmm. Shock
1: you. (gasps) Horrify you. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, between... It just, you know, it was a good movie. I... I enjoyed watching it, but nothing really stood out as truly amazing right. to me.
0: Well, it certainly does. It, it doesn't have the the typical depth and weirdness that you'll find in 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 Cronenberg. By Cronenberg standards, well, that's this is the fairly thing. Like, forward. I don't
1: even know all that many Cronenberg movies, and I'm not a big Stephen King person. So, like, right. I think there's a lot more sort of oomph to the names behind this movie that for you than there is for me. It's right. just... And I've just watched it. Well, I guess I'd watched it before once and then now. Right. And uh, it's just kind of a movie to me, right? right. That's okay. <laughs> so, we don't have to agree on all, all right. of these.
0: <laughs> You've won by participating.
1: <laughs> all right. And next on my list I had Hereafter, all right. which I quite enjoyed, but again, it just wasn't quite... You know, if you have to rank them it's gonna have to go somewhere so and I yeah obviously I'm probably more drawn towards the drama type movies right. than, than you are so it's definitely
0: it's not really a flaw that, that it is me. a drama I just wanted to make it clear that mm-hmm. people understood that but, yeah. yeah it's but not a scary I can
1: movie. easily like if I'm not trying to be a critical or form a real opinion I can easily get swept up in the emotion of movies so it's yeah. a pretty effective movie that way. And the other three I find really difficult. I could probably just shuffle these. Yeah, it's and, one of those and, lists. And just sort of put them in there. But what I did decide on here was dead again to be the next one. All right. But again, I really did enjoy it.
0: That's allowed. Mm-hmm. That's all it's I, tough. I really
1: have to say about that. Just <laughs> that's tough. No, that's okay. Just the...
0: So we in second position. Nail biter.
1: I have red lights. Okay. Which I almost, I really could have put in first. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, partly I think the thing is that it is, a, I think, a really good movie for people that want to believe but are skeptics. Right. Because basically it's like... It's taking... Everything. Skep- it takes that, it puts this legitimate frame around all the skepticism and it explains away pretty much everything that we see out there in the world. It takes skepticism and then it has seriously, like, right? Yeah.
0: A lot of horror movies take, like supernatural seriously Mm -hmm. almost none of them take skepticism seriously Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a real
1: but i think the science behind what the pair of them do could be used like at least in fictional world could be used to to dis disprove
0: yeah
1: obviously all everything that they came across whatever we think is claiming to be that way psychic stuff so um but then it has that little there is something out there that you kinda of wanna see, right? Yeah. So the reason it he was, was earnestly
0: trusting science to find the psychic is because he was one. Yeah. So
2: yeah.
1: The other thing that I didn't mention during our review of it was the little thing with the dead bird, of course. Oh yeah. Effectively you, don't you know like disturbing. Dead birds. <laughs> very, very effectively disturbing. <laughs> He's like steps over it at first and you're like, Don't step on it, don't step on it <laughs> <laughs> And then he picks it up and throws it out.
0: Lauren, like uh, a lot of people, has a problem with little dead things.
1: (laughs) I think more so than a lot of people. (laughs) Maybe that's all in my mind. I'm
0: glad I didn't get you that dead possum for your (laughs) anniversary anyway. (laughs) So by process Um, of elimination, I psychically predict that your number one choice is the gift.
1: (laughs) How did you do that?
0: I'm amazing. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think the gift just stands out probably as the most solid sort of well rounded mm-hmm. story. Of course the whole ensemble cast thing certainly goes a long way towards that, but the story and the way it was put together seem to just stick.
2: Yeah.
0: It's a solid choice and I think that you will find that we agree quite a bit. But we neither agree six for six nor zero for six, so no prize no for you prizes. tonight. I'm well, sorry. I'll
1: eat all the scallops. Well,
0: the pri- that prize is for us. We're having <laughs> bacon-wrapped scallops after this recording's done. So if it seems like I'm rushing through this ranking review, <laughs> that might be why. Um, so I'm just going to put these in the order that I feel they deserve, and then we shall discuss them. Um, I agree with you one hundred percent that in sixth place is insight, but that said, it's really not a terrible movie. No. it's okay. <laughs> it's it's fine. I think that, it, that overall, it is a fairly strong list of movies, and and I think that's part of the reasons we find it hard to rank them. Um, Yeah, there is a bait and switch factor to this movie I kind of like a movie that sort of is what it says it is in some ways (laughs) and the twist of the movie is that it's not the movie that we're advertising (laughs) but it's fine, but it is the least of these movies in fifth place is where I put hereafter and honestly, I don't know what scenes to cut, but there's some scenes that need to be cut. Uh, if you could get this down to 100 minutes instead of 130 or 150, whatever it was, it it, I really felt my butt getting numb in this movie in a way I didn't with any of the other movies. And yet, I really thought it touched on really fascinating, interesting themes in a way that some of the other movies didn't. So it's kind of frustrating to have to put it that low, but that's where I put it. So this is the part where the fight goes out and I end up sleeping on the couch in the evening of our anniversary. But all the <laughs> way in fourth place is where I put the red lights. And I like where this movie's hard as at. I really do say, like, I'm mixed on the twist because I really liked the way that they were handling the sort of real-world scientific approach to the supernatural. And in, in, in a way, the twist kind of neutered our villain, made our villain just sort of like a gangster or some sort of tough guy, poser... Uh, Well, yeah. So, in a way. But uh, that's me, again, looking hard for reasons to put it in fourth place. Something had to be in fourth place. I do recommend this movie. And even with my reservations, I pretty much recommend The List. uh, Just in a different order Mm -hmm. than you did. And all the way in third position is where I put The Dead Zone. Um, I do think it's interesting that we have, you know, an interesting genre director taking on you know the most popular author in history <laughs> and um i do come in as a independently a fan of Stephen king and uh it's hard to say fan i'm i'm interested in cronenberg's work but uh, i dislike as many of his films as i like but he is interesting um so i think that there's a lot to like here we didn't even mention like colleen Dewhurst and uh, um tom scarrett and some of the cool faces that show up throughout the movie i think that you know if you're a fan of either stephen king uh christopher walken or uh david cronenberg and if you're not a fan of at least one of those three i don't think you're listening (laughs) so it's worth a look so i put dead again in second place which maybe seems like an artificially high ranking but I do love me some emma thompson like i love the shit out of emma thompson and i do think she's like awesome in this movie and i gotta give big credit to that screenplay because it's got a lot of balls in the air and it's juggling several narratives and a murder mystery and a romance and it does it all fairly well like uh we, we, barely, we hardly mentioned Derek Jacoby is sort of like the sinister hypnotist, or Wayne Knight who most people know from Seinfeld mm-hmm. uh, in a fairly straight role, supporting role, as uh, Mike's friend. He's comic relief, but, you know. Anyway, um, I don't know. I think that Dead Again's a surprising movie, and that, again, it's kind of a largely forgotten movie, so more love for Dead Again. But I also agree, sweetie, that I think The Gift is probably all around the best. The uniformly great cast, strong script, uh, the central exploration of Kate Blanche's character as a psychic, sort of trying to make her way in a modern world that hates and fears her. I completely believed her, completely credible. And uh, I don't know, it's just Sam Raimi doing what he does. You're right, though, that on a given day, like, especially those top three could probably be shuffled around on the basis of my given mood. Mm -hmm. But here we are within this sort of framework of this show. We have to rank them in a certain way. And today, that's how we rank. And we may not have agreed, but we agreed enough, right? (laughs) Enough to get married three years ago? Four years ago?
1: Four.
0: Let's not get all hung up on how long <laughs> someone was married to who. The important thing That's how is... how long I've been
1: married. I don't know how long <laughs> you've been married. The
0: important thing is is that we're going to have bacon wrapped scallops <laughs> and that we have completed this recording of we the 51st it. episode of Rank and Review with Ta-da. my lovely, beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, awesome wife, <laughs> Lauren Baker. That's all.
1: Thanks.
0: And so the 51st episode of Rank and Review comes to an end. Um, it was really sweet of Lauren to put up with that episode. I know it was way outside of her comfort zone to do that. But I think she did quite well. Um, and there will be some payback. You will be hearing more from Lauren in a future episode of Rankin Review. Please seek out Rankin Review. Uh, my website is rankandreview.ca. You can find the podcast on iTunes, you can find it on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter. And if you could just tell that other movie nerd in your life about this podcast, I would really appreciate it. My name is Larry Parsons, I'm your host in Random Canadian. Send feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com, that's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W. And hopefully, you'll be hearing me for episode 52. Thanks, you guys.